0: Welcome to Countdown to Kickoff, part of Oregon College Game Day
1: with Judah Newby and Neil Lomax, presented by Frost Brood Coors Light on 1029 and 750 The Game. Week 13 of the college football season and a happy Black Friday and a happy Civil War Day to all the Duck and Beaver fans out in the Portland metro area. And in between, wherever you may be, welcome to Countdown to Kickoff. Jude Newby and the College Football Hall of Famer, Neil Lomax, here on 1029, 750. the game, getting you ready for the 122nd all-time meeting on the Gridiron between the Oregon Ducks and the Oregon State Beavers. We are live from the Fields Bar and Grill here in the Pearl District, presented by Cooney BMW. Come on out if you're doing your Black Friday shopping in the area, or even if you're not in the area, trust me. Black Friday shopping, you get hungry real quick and there's uh, only one spot that you should come to to take in this football game and to enjoy the atmosphere and that's the Fields Bar and Grill. It's on 11th Avenue here between Northrop and Marshall right actually front entrance right on the corner of 11th and Northrop. So it's a great place to be. Just getting started. Neil Lomax big day on the radio coming up and we're talking Ducks and Beavers. It's always my favorite day of the year.
2: Well a lot of great football games today. Uh, Not just the Civil War game but looking forward to uh the most important game in the Pac-12 that's right uh you know the Cougs hosting the Huskies we'll talk about that game in Pullman in a little bit but these rivalry games it's great to have guys like Jordan Kent who actually played in it I mean to have guys that have played in this game it's gonna be exciting to get on it get Derek Anderson and and Sean Mannion it's always I think it's important for my not just myself who think you know something about the game but guys who actually played in it right and I went to a bunch of these uh you know my son Jack played it uh Played at Oregon State a couple of years, went down to follow him. But, man, there's some great memories, some great games. But let's just be honest, folks. The last 10 years, this thing's been dominated by the Ducks. You know, I don't have a dog in the fight. You know, I, I don't, I'm not a duck. I'm not a beaver. I'm the Portland State guy. I got, I got my Portland <laughs> State Viking stuff on. I still root for them. But, you know, let's face it, the last 15, 20 years, the Ducks have been the dominant force. Um, they've been the team um, that. You know, even last year, I mean, by 59 points. Yep. I mean, that was just last year. I was I mean, on the
1: field for that one last uh, year, and that got out of hand and it hurt.
2: And we went down two years ago, though, my son and my father-in-law, who's a beaver, uh, Big Jerry, actually. Uh, What's my up, Jerry? Big Jerry. You know, <laughs> he, we went down. We, we try to go to a game every year, and so we saw the gnaw. We saw the Ducks get gnawed. Uh, that was quite a game, um, seeing Ryan Gnaw from Central Catholic run wild in that game two years ago, and the, and the Beavers upset them. But let's face it, the last 10 years, Judah, 9 out of 10 have gone the Ducks' way.
1: And yet, and yet, the last time it was at Reeser was that aforementioned Beaver victory. Both teams finished 4 and 8 that season and has sent the Ducks into a spiral, firing Mark Helfrich and his coaching staff, leading to the eventual hiring of Willie Taggart, his eventual departure, and Mario Cristobal comes up the chain to, uh, to take over the reins of this football team. And if you think about that last game back in 2016, Neil, it kind of feels similar to this in terms of weather, atmosphere, a ground game for Oregon State, not a whole lot of expectation. They're coming in as 18 and a half point underdogs at home with this offense. If there's any time for the Beavers to show up and be very competitive at home, I've got a feeling it's in this game.
2: Well, in, in a new in a new coach, as it was two years ago with Gary Anderson. Who uh, <laughs> let's just don't get back into Gary Anderson saga. And, you know, <laughs> Corey Hall had to uh, handle it last year and got that you know pretty what absolutely blasted. Right. But here's John Smith, and talk about a guy who has history in the rivalry games and playing this game. So here's a guy that played in it four times, and it's two and two as a player, uh, and that's pretty good. Yeah. And if, if you're 50-50 with the Beavs, that's pretty good. So. I'm, I'm anxious to see how John Smith's ball club handles this final game. Uh, everybody's been talking about, you know, Jordan, Brian, everybody, oh, they, this, there's no quitting this team. You know, Oregon State, they play hard. They, they go down swinging. Well, come on, folks. Bottom line is they've been getting beat by 30, 40 – I mean, people putting 30, 40 points on them all season long. And they've been getting beat. Okay, they're getting beat. Right. And, I mean, numbers don't lie. Uh, one number just blasts. It just comes out. It just blasts out of the paper to me going through all different stats and everything, and especially for quarterbacks. For me, I look at how many times they've been sacked. I mean, it's incredible that 46, yeah. I think that's the correct number, 46, 47 times this year, these quarterbacks, and they played all three of them. There was three of them playing, but uh, Luton gets to start today. But, Judah, that's one number as a quarterback. I mean, my God, guy threw the ball away. Dude, throw yeah. the ball away. I mean, I know it was one or one or two times you can't help it. you got to take the sack. But So four and a half,
1: five times a game? Well, and you could argue that's going to be a huge key of this game is the amount of pressure that Oregon can get on Jake Luton. Because, Neil, when he's not pressured, we see what he's capable of doing. You can just look at the second half against uh, Colorado in a road game where he goes over 300 yards and three touchdowns passing in just 30 minutes of action. So, Oregon, it's paramount that they get pressure on this guy because if you think about him, Marysville, Washington, Jake Luton, that's where he grew up, watching the Apple Cup. That's what the rivalry he was familiar with, growing up a UW fan. Goes down to Juco and to Ventura, mm-hmm. gets the opportunity to play for a Pac-12 school. And though he flashed potential, he's got the height and he's got the, uh, the mechanics working for him. But then that unfortunate injury at Washington State on the Palouse, the injuries this year as well, and his comeback attempt. And wh- who, who knows if he comes back for sixth year? He, he hasn't really brought up that subject voluntarily yet. But this could be his last game as a Beaver and what's been an up-and-down career for him. But he has the potential, I think, and I don't mean this lightly, he's got the potential to be an upset quarterback if he's given time.
2: Yeah, and that's that's the key. That's the number that stuck out to me, how many times they've been sacked. Yep. And that's, you know, you get Jalen Jelks and Justin Hollins, just, their ears are just pinning, this is going to be, hey, this is our game. Um, yeah, I mean, Jake Luton is is that. that Sean Mannion, Derek Anderson, Justin, I mean, 6'7". 230. He's got the size, he's got the you know the the body of work is there as a thrower, uh, but again, as I look at Oregon State over the last you know seven eight ball games nine ball games, they're, they're getting a lot of points put on them. Defensively, they're not very good. They're like tenth eleventh all categories in the Pac-12. Uh, you get behind, and either you teams loosen up a little more, so that's why there's some of the rushing yards are a little tainted because they've been running a lot more second half, and then your passing yards. So you take those two halves that you're talking about against at Nevada and at Colorado. Right. Those are, those are you know, star moments. But, again, you're behind, and you come from behind. And one of them, they, they came and, and got the victory, which is good for them. Broke that huge losing streak. So um, I, I, I'm, I'm with Jordan on this, Jordan Kennett. I'm looking for an entertaining game. You know, my advice, you know, people go, oh, it's raining in the well. No, that's an advantage for the offense. We played a lot of rain at Civic Stadium at Portland State. And we're not going to run the ball. We're going to throw it. Right. It was our advantage because we know what the routes are. My receivers knew where to go, what cuts to make. I like what Jordan talked about, nice and precise routes. That's what we ran. We're very precise about what route we had the advantage. The defensive backs, corners don't. They're the ones slipping a lot. So if you're to me, if you're a passing team, keep on chucking it, man. Right. It's raining, keep raining footballs.
1: All right, but what's the you know, criticism of the Oregon receiving core in particular, outside of Dylan Mitchell? holding on to the football. That's got to be tough in an environment like this.
2: Yeah, and they've had their drops, no question about it. You know, Jalen Red had a huge one last week that could right. actually, I think, put that game, salted that game away. Uh, even that they had the penalty, too. And they had a free shot and they took it and he had a drop. But that's going to happen in this game. But when you don't throw it 45, 50 times, those drops are instrumental. Those drops are more focused upon now because you're only throwing 30, 32 times. This isn't the Ducks of old or what we used to do is throw it 45, 50 times. Uh, this team does not do that. And that's what I kind of expected early on would be this, yeah, you want to run the ball a little bit. Everybody's have to run the football. You run it to throw it kind of thing. But still, I thought with a Justin Herbert and these great wide receivers that we thought they had in week one, week we two, thought. week three. No, really. Exactly. They're going to throw the ball 45, 50 times. So when you only throw it 30 or 25, you have one or two drops. Game chair, it stops those drives.
1: What did you think of the playbook last week against Arizona State? When in the first half we saw a little bit more short passing games, saw a couple of screens go for first downs and some big plays. In the second half, 13 passing yeah. yards for Justin yeah. Herbert.
2: There's no, there was no playbook. What, yeah, what the hell was that? Yeah, in the second half. You know, again, you get the lead and you go, Oh, let's just don't screw this up now, let's make sure we, we hang in it. But yeah, statistically, you did you, you trash in that second half last week, and there again, they're fortunate. Come away with that win. Right. Had a lot of Stanford written on that thing, and you know we kind of talk about our, our picks and everything. And I thought Arizona State's gonna come back and kick a field goal and, and win that <laughs> That's game. What we it, said it, was, it was so close to being that, but I, I want to see Justin Herbert again uh, come out and utilize his talents yeah. um, before his last bowl game. This would be by the last, maybe the last game he plays in the state of Oregon, and yeah, we got to find out if Brennan scores, Jalen Reds. Uh, some, You know, Jacob Breland, some guys around him, and use your backs. He uses his backs really, really well. I think dropping the ball off to Die, dropping the ball off to C.J. Vardell, they're very athletic. They can be those receivers as, as, as well.
1: Oregon State has the second worst total defense in terms of stats in the entire country. They are allowing offenses 544 yards per game. That's only one team is worse. Oh, Neil, you're going to love this. Guess who's the worst defense in the country in terms of total defense?
2: Well, I know it's not. That's yeah, not it's a Kent, power. It's, it's not a power five.
1: Kent State. <laughs> That's a good one. Shout out Julian Edelman. There you go. Uh, UConn. Okay, UConn. <laughs> Six hundred and thirty-four yards allowed a
2: game. Well, they got a really good women's boys basketball team. Somehow. I know. So well,
1: you know, it's that classic, you know, women's basketball powering the athletic department. <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> easy how that goes. now. All right, coming easy. up, <laughs> we're going to continue to flesh out the storylines of this one hundred and twenty-second Civil War. There's only a handful of rivalry games in the country that have been played more frequently than the Ducks and the beeves. I'll even tell you about the first one ever played and about a rule change back then that will just blow your mind. It's amazing. Plus, Nick Aliotti, James Crepia, Sean Mannion, Derek Anderson, they're all coming up on the show. Countdown to kickoff, Judah Newby, Neil Lomax, live from the Fields Bar and Grill, presented by Cooney BMW. And we are back with you live from the Fields Bar and Grill here in the Pearl District, corner of 11th and Northrop, Judah Newby. And Neil Lomax here, countdown to kickoff, taking you up till 1 p.m. when the Ducks and the Beavers will meet in the Civil War. Oregon, at last check, was a favorite by 18 and a half points and we posed that to you on the 1029750 the game facebook page as well. What would your pick against the spread be in this one? The line opened to Oregon minus 14 and a half. About an hour later it was at 16 and a half. So a good amount of early money was coming in on the Oregon Ducks and it's just kept swelling and swelling and swelling. And i am been to the point now I knew going into this that I'd keep my eye on Oregon State to cover and here's why, Neil. And tell me if, you know, you you see it similarly. Of course our picks will come later in the show oregon state's got the ground game anytime you got a ground game you've got a chance to keep a game close in terms of converting first down staying ahead of the sticks time of possession given that you don't turn the football over being the other uh, criteria to that but also oregon in the second half offensively they've been conservative to the point where it's allowed other teams to get back into the football game Take a look at the example from Arizona State last week. Oregon should have killed them off in the fourth quarter. ASU comes back and gets the backdoor cover despite being four-point underdogs. They slide right in there, lose by two, get the cover, makes everyone in Vegas happy. I could see something very similar happening in this game despite Oregon State being a big underdog. I could see them getting down big and then coming back and backdooring this.
2: Yeah, I mean, the Pac-12 is so rich with running backs uh, this year. I think four of them in the top ten in the nation are from Pac-12 schools. We saw what J.J. did and, and Joshua Kelly, right. um, Eno Benjamin, and now here's this true freshman that Oregon's going to look at, and he's uh, a national figure now, and he's in a break. or well, he already broke uh, quizzes, uh, right, for JR's a, record. For true a true freshman, freshman record, yeah. right? So I remember Jaquiz Rogers back in those days, and I think he had like 1,253 yards back in 2008, and here's Jamar Jefferson already at 1,316 yards, that's impressive for a true freshman. But you got to do more than that. And, yeah, if you're a betting man, and we kept going to Vegas Lions and the 4.5 points here, you know, 16, 17 points in a rivalry game, I mean, I'm, I'm putting my dollar right now on that's Oregon State. Give me the points, I'll take Oregon State. Uh, maybe they might not win uh, the game, but you cover. I mean, that's a lot of points in this game. And here's why it's a lot of points. I have not seen the explosion, explosion plays of Oregon. That's the thing we've been waiting for all year is once that pedal going to the metal, man, and here we go. And they're just bang, bang, hitting home run after home run, and it has not been the case. And everybody's talking about Jamar Jefferson. Here's why it will be close. I, I like the three Beaver receivers. Mm-hmm. That little combination uh, of Timmy Hernandez, Isaiah Hodgkins, and Trayvon Bradford, kid from Oregon City, those three guys, they complement that running game really well. Now, you've been watching it too, and that's a combination thing that uh, when everybody's looking at the running backs and this guy can run for the... I look at receivers, too. Those are possession receivers. And they've done quite well. And all, all three of them like, what, have, out 50 catches apiece? So he's spreading the wealth around. And that's a key for this football game is getting those guys involved.
1: And those receivers, they all bring something different to the table. If you look at what Hodgins provides on the outside as an X... You know, he can go up and high point a ball as good as anybody. I think him and Dylan Mitchell and Nikhil Harry, they all have similar attributes as ex-receivers in the Pac-12. They can win a one-on-one 50-50 ball really, really well. And then you complement that with Hernandez and Bradford, possession guys on the inside. I mean, that's, you know, I've heard this term, and tell me if you agree, when you're trying to build a receiving core, you almost build it like a starting five in basketball. You want to have... You know, a small guy that can run the point. You want to have a big guy that can go up and get it up top. Do you kind of want to build a basketball team when you're talking about a receiving core?
2: Yeah, and I think you have that with that the, the Timmy Hernandez, that slot back. He runs the fly sweep. Well, he's in between the hashes. Yeah, he is, he's not the numbers guy. He's not out there X and Z, the guys who stand on the numbers. He's not the Dylan Mitchell who's going to run your 4-4. But he's going to have, you know, maybe 10, 12 touches in the game. That's a lot of touches uh, target-wise, throwing the ball-wise. Uh, you know, they're going to go to him four or five, six different times. So, yeah, you start with that that little Wes Welker, the Dammy, Danny Amadolas, guys you want those kind of guys in between, as we call them, in between the hashes that are afraid to catch those digs and the shallows and the crossing routes. And he'll sit in those zones too. So those three guys uh, will, uh, I think will complement. Oregon State's running game, that's a key to watch. One of my keys to watch is how well Jake Luton get the ball of those three receivers. All right,
1: we're going to hit the break here in a moment, but first I want to talk about this Apple Cup, and we will throughout the rest of the pregame and in the postgame show as well. 5.30 on Fox, Washington State and Washington, even here in the state of Oregon. You can feel the attention of the Northwest region being brought toward Pullman here. For the first time since 2006, Neil, Washington State is favored. But there is a reason the term kooking it is a term. Should they be worried about cooking it in this game, given that they've got a Heisman contender at the quarterback position?
2: And, and so much is on the line because there, there's still a possibility, though it's very slight, but there's a possibility Washington State can move up to the, the top four. It, yep. it, it could because of these conference championship games. The SEC, these teams can knock each other out. You never know, so going from seven, because LSU's at seven right now, right? And that, that's controversial. With what, two losses. Whatever. So, they can be at six, because you're talking about, basically, Georgia and Oklahoma. Right. Those are, the, those are the two schools, the two teams that you have to worry about, and you want them to beat Alabama. So, that's down the road, but what a huge, huge game for Washington State. It's going to be awesome. To the, I hope they can come through. I really I do. We'll talk about it much yeah. later, but. Tell you what, don't don't back Chris Peterson. There's something about coaching. And you talk about Mike Leach and he won't change what he is. He is what he is. But I tell you, Chris Peterson will have his huskies ready.
1: Well, and then you know, when there was the coaching search going on for Oregon, one of the candidates that brought up was, would Mike Leach be a fit in Eugene? That was one of the, you know, underlying storylines from 2016 after the Helfridge firing and 2017 after the Tagrick departure. And some people said, well, he's quirky enough to work in Eugene, which is a quirky well, place. I'll tell
2: you what, if Mike Leach was in, in Eugene, uh, Justin Herbert would have 5,000 yards right now. Okay, he'll, he'll be, Isn't you know, that an attractive – Marcus Mariota had, what, 4,400 that one year for the yeah. Ducks? I mean, he was absolutely ballistic. But, uh, I think it was around one, one of the Duck records. I got one of the, one of the Duck records here, and it is – I mean, it is something like that. It's amazing. Yeah, Marcus Mariota, 4,454 four yards in 2014. They were winging it, and they were that's rushing. That's how you win, I and, and they were still top four or five in the country in rushing. They were averaging 120 yards rushing those four of those Chip Kelly years. But if Mike Leach was at Eugene this year, Justin Herbert would have 5,000 yards.
1: Jalen Red would be oh, all back all 12. Dylan, I mean, Mitchell,
2: Dylan Mitchell would have 112 catches.
1: Do you really think Patman <laughs> is that much better than, you know, a, a Red or a Johnny Johnson? No, no, I don't you're, think you're, so. The no, no. system maximizes exactly. those Exactly. You're
2: a product of that passing philosophy. You're right. a product of it. And that's his philosophy – is a run to him is a check down swing route. Yep. Mike Leach is going to just, and it's going to be, so weather-wise too, I don't know, what is it, how, how cold Ooh, is it in Pullman right now?
1: That's a great question.
2: So weather, weather has a big deal, folks, to, on the defense. People think you can't throw that well, if, at least it's warm enough. If it's cold, rainy, I'm telling you what, guys, defensive backs have the worst time because they don't know how to adjust. They don't know what routes they're running. They're more vulnerable to slipping than, than your own receivers. That's how we looked at it at Portland State. We played in the rain a lot is we have the advantage because we know what we're doing. They don't.
1: All right. The uh, weather in Pullman right now, 45 degrees and partly cloudy. You got a chance of rain. Oh, my gosh. It might snow on the Palouse tonight. 90 percent chance of rain in the five p.m. hour when it kicks at five thirty, and then snow allegedly in the forecast as you get to seven and eight o'clock. Come on, there's got to be snow for this game. That'd be too perfect. Drew the Bledsoe Apple Cup? coming on. out,
2: Mark Rippin, oh. Cody Pickett, Chris Chandler. <laughs> Chris Chandler. Oh yeah, we go. We got some of those Husky. Get some Husky and Coop. We had Coop quarterbacks on we the did. show. We did. I don't. I don't think I've had a Husky quarterback, so I'll, I'll work on that. Uh, we might.
1: Uh, yeah. Damon.
2: Damian Heward, yeah. 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 Rubbing
1: on him a little bit, 94. All right, we'll go away. We'll come back. Derek Anderson, former Beaver quarterback, now on the Buffalo Bills roster. We'll talk to him about this Civil War rivalry, some of his performances, get his thoughts. Plus, Sean Mannion will be calling in later in the show. We'll have a conversation with Nick Aliotti, as always. We go live to Reeser and talk to James Crepe of the Oregonian at 1230 as well. Still early on, this is Countdown to Kickoff, live from the field Grill in the Pearl District, Judah Newby and Neil Lomax on 102.9, 7.50 the game. And welcome back. Countdown to kickoff live from the Fields Bar and Grill here in the Pearl District, presented by Cooney BMW. Judah Newby and the College Football Hall of Famer, Neil Lomax, 10-year veteran in the NFL. We're getting you ready for the Civil War between the Ducks and the Beavers, and we're talking to a whole bunch of uh, Civil War heroes along the way, and not in the historical sense of Civil War heroes. We're talking about actual football. Civil War football heroes. Exactly. Of course. Exactly. Not that, uh, you know, Derek Anderson doesn't appreciate a good historical reference as much as anyone. But D.A., the pride of Scappoose and a longtime Oregon State quarterback, joins us now on the hotline on Countdown to Kickoff, now with the Buffalo Bills as well. Derek Anderson, how are you? Good. How are you guys doing? Doing awesome,
2: man. We're doing great. Derek, I appreciate you. Hey, this is Neil. I appreciate you coming on. You know, folks, I called Derek a couple of days ago. and and uh, asked to come on. because so I'm getting tired of having a lot of these duck quarterbacks on. I'm getting other guys on. I'm, I don't have a dog in the fight, Derek. I tell everybody that. No beavers, no ducks. I'm just <laughs> calling it like I see it. And I go, man, one of the best quarterbacks ever at Oregon State, in my opinion, with Derek Anderson. So I appreciate you coming on. And you're in Buffalo. Tell us about how that happened. Tell us how about
3: that happened. <laughs> uh, it was a little bit weird, to be honest with you. I was uh, just kind of hanging out and, some kids, and they said, "Hey, you know, we need help with the young guy." And I was like, "All right, well, I haven't really been doing too much, but uh, I'll be there." <laughs> well, yeah, Two you, you and Bill, yeah, I you and Bill
2: swancut playing a lot of golf together. You're on the golf course with Swancut and all of a sudden, you get the call.
3: Yeah, I've been doing a little bit, but not, not probably what I, you know, probably should have been doing. But uh, I was in good enough shape to to make it work uh unfortunately i got dinged up a few weeks ago and kind of trying to battle back from that
1: yeah man how, how you feeling first of all
3: uh doing all right just uh <laughs> <laughs> got it got knocked i got knocked around a little bit uh kind of dealing with a little bit of that and i got a couple other little small mix here in there that uh come with playing the position unfortunately
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's is it amazing you know we were talking to you on the uh on our airwaves a couple of weeks ago and then i think it was the next day that we saw that you signed with buffalo and then a couple of days later you're facing bill belichick's defense in prime time i mean that's that had to have been wild
3: yeah it was it was definitely different uh you know i had i i was a little nervous just you know i hadn't gone through the preseason i hadn't you know got a lot of reps with our guys and but you know i was nervous about getting out there you know like the speed of the game and just you know, I was like, man, I haven't really done this in a while. I got out there and I felt comfortable with things. You know, obviously could have went a little bit better, but uh, as far as just being out there again and, and being with the guys and saw things very well for the most part, made a couple of bad decisions, but uh, it, it felt good being back out there.
2: Well, it was great to see you play, and it's been a few years, uh, you know, and people don't realize the career you had. You know, backing up Cam Newton and that, but I just take you back, Derek, watching you at Oregon State in those days, and you know you still rank, Derek. You're you're number nine all-time Pac-12 career passing in touchdowns, yardage. I mean, you're you're ahead of John Elway's and some names. So, people think of you have a great pro career, but tell us about your your years and your days at at uh, down at Corvallis.
3: Um. You know, I was uh, fortunate. You know, I got to go down there for a couple days before, actually, I, the weekend before I came out here. And, you know, they just kind of, you know, they were asking, you know, what, you know, what makes this place special? And, I'm, you know, I'm very thankful for the opportunity to be down there and spend it with the coaches that I did. Uh, you know, it wasn't always pretty at times, but it definitely helped me, you know, progress as a player, um, develop into the player and the person that I am today. Uh, you know, had I gone somewhere else. You know, I never know what would have happened. Corvallis was a, a perfect place for me to, to make some mistakes. And luckily there wasn't Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff going around when I was in college because I, I did a lot of stupid things. But, uh, you know, it was it's, it's, it's awesome. You know, I met, you know, obviously Bill and I are, you know, best friends. We do, we do a lot of things together. Um, you know, have a lot of great relationships with guys that, you know, I played with. And, you know, I would, I would never change it for, uh, for anything.
1: You know, as it relates to the Civil War, Derek, um, you were taken over as the starting quarterback in the 2002 season as a sophomore and, you know, really taking over the reins of a Beaver offense that had been peaking under the head coach of the Oregon State Beavers currently, Jonathan Smith. When you think about when you were first taken over as a starting QB, what was that like and how did Jonathan help you with that transition and your offenses that uh, always featured a talented running back in the backfield, whether it's Kenny Simonton or Steven Jackson, Evanson Bernard later, of course, but what was that first experience like when you were taken over as the chief signal caller of the Oregon State Beavers?
3: Uh, you know, it was something, obviously, that I, you know, had worked for and something that I, you know, dreamt of, My really, my ones. I decided I was going to play football, you know, all of high school, and I was like, you know, I'm going to do this, and, and I'll never forget that, you know, first game that I got out there and I was like, I was a little nervous, but, you know, I got out there and I was like, okay, this is just football. And uh, it was an exciting time for us. Uh, I wish I would have handed it to Steven a few more times over the course of the years, uh, obviously not knowing at the time how special he was, uh, you know, and how good he was going to be. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was, <laughs> it was good. You know, I, like I said, you know, I, I learned a lot. You know, I made a lot of mistakes. You know, had some ups, had some downs. Um, but, you know, having Dennis the, my first two years and then having Coach Riley and Paul Chris my, my last two, um, I couldn't have asked for, you know, a better group of coaches to, to learn from. And, you know, as I said, just, you know, getting to this level and having the, you know, exposure to so many, you know, different offenses, different schemes, um, the understanding of things, you know, when I got here, definitely helped me a ton.
2: Hey, Derek, talk to the folks about – uh, playing this rivalry game, it's raining down here, and no, no surprise there. And you know, 55 <laughs> raining here, and you know, you're Jake Luton, and you know, Justin Herbert. And I was telling a lot of folks, Derek, I, I didn't mind the rain throwing the ball because we we knew what we were doing. The defensive backs, right. safeties, cor- they didn't really know where they're going. They had more opportunities to slip, make mistakes than we did. How'd you feel going to a, a game like this with the weather?
3: I never really it never really bothered me. Obviously, growing up in the state of Oregon, playing in rain all through high school. Um, when I got to college, actually, I looked at it the same exact way. Uh, it was a competitive advantage for us. You know, we know which way we're going to break. We know which way we're supposed to go. Now, obviously, the ball is a little bit you know gets a little slippery at times, but um, you know, you can put it in places where they can't make breaks on it. Um, you know, and it, it can be an advantage. Um, obviously, the field turf these days. It's a little bit different. I mean, I feel like the field turf doesn't give as much as natural grass or even the old mm-hmm. Astro turf that we were fortunate enough to play on. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think definitely throwing the ball is, you know, if you can do it effectively and, and you know, and you trust the guys who are doing it, it can't be an advantage
1: for you. You know, when you look at the current Oregon State team, Derek, I'm not sure, you know, how often you get to watch their games. And obviously in the win and loss column, they're struggling and yet there's still reasons to be optimistic particularly on the offensive side of the ball what do you like when you uh, watch Oregon State football
3: i mean obviously the way we've been running the football this year has been something that you know been good for us um, both of those running backs have, have been very effective you know and that helps in the passing game I and mean, we've thrown the ball very well as of late um, you know it's you know on the offensive side it's it's and it's nice to see us move it, and you know, obviously, I'd like to see us get a few more stops. But we do have a lot of young, young guys on defense that I think will grow in, in, in years to come, and hopefully, that end will, you know, kind of everybody will kind of start gelling and making more plays.
1: That 2004 Civil War. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I would love for you to to take us back to that moment. You guys put up 50 points on Oregon that day which at that time was a record for points scored in a Civil War. It's your final game with uh, Oregon State in the in the uh, Civil War, at least. And you and Mike Hass nine catches for Mike, a buck 54, two touches. Your buddy Bill Swancutt, three sacks in that football game, and Reaser was rocking, man. What was that Civil War in 2004 like?
3: Uh, <laughs> it was, I mean, honestly, you couldn't probably have, drawn it up any better for us uh you know a game that you know means so much to guys especially guys you know in the state of oregon from the state of oregon um for us to play that last game and and research that way and and finish that way was something that i don't think any of us will ever forget um you know we get together sometimes and laugh and joke about it but it's it's a great memory um you don't try to you know kind of look at the glory days, but, it, you know, it is a memory that, you know, many of us that were involved in it will will never forget just because of the, the magnitude of the game, you know, what it means to so many people within the state.
2: Yeah, and those and those memories don't come that often, as you know, especially in this rivalry. I mean, Oregon the last t- 10 years, Derek, 9 out of 10 ha- have gone the <laughs> Ducks' way, and, you know, I'm hoping Jonathan can bring something back. I, I know you're loyal and everything, but give us your take on what, what kind of man. I mean, he's 30, 38 years old you know, taking this coaching job. Tell us, tell us what you know about Jonathan and the direction he's going to take this Beaver team.
3: I think he's done a great job. Uh, you know, obviously things haven't turned as quick or, you know, but we've made strides. Uh, I think the message to the guys has been good. Um, you know, it has to mean something to you. And, you know, it has to be important. Uh, you know, and, and it's going to take a little bit of recruiting. It's going to take a little bit of time to kind of get this thing flipped. But, you know, his, his outlook on his the way that he's kind of been going about it. You know, I was fortunate enough when I was at home to be able to come down there and watch the guys during camp a little bit, uh, you know, went to a couple football games and came and saw Jonathan. You know, I think he's got the energy. He's got the, you know, the right mindset. Uh, he knows what, it, you know, what it's going to take, you know, and then it comes down to getting it done. You know, you get guys in there that are excited about it, you know, and take pride in and making sure that they're a part of the reason why we turn it around and, you uh, you know, it's not, it's not going to be easy. You know, I think Jonathan, you know, said that too. Uh, you know, he's kind of got, got behind the eight ball a little bit. And, and uh, you know, it's going to take some, some guys that have gone through some, through some stuff to come out the other side. And, and I hope
2: he can. It's neat to, uh, having you on, Derek, from Scapoose, and you just talked about Mike Hawes. He's a kid that played at Jesuit. Mm-hmm. You know, Billy Swancut from Sprague, and you're local now. You live in Salem. And I hope Jonathan yeah. can do it with local guys. You, you've proven that, you know, Derek, that you can't yeah. win with the Northwest guys.
3: Yeah, and I I think that's kind of, you know, it's a a piece of the puzzle. You know, it's not the entire puzzle, but it's a piece. You know, you get guys that grow up watching the rivalry, grow up, you know, maybe not necessarily liking one team or another, but know how much, you know, how important the game is, you know, and then you get there and then you start to realize the importance of it, you know, within the state, you know, within the locker room, you know, guys that come up from California or Texas or or whatever and now you start getting those guys on board and those guys start understanding the magnitude of it it's not a it's not just another game you know and, and unfortunately you know they have they've seen the other side of it uh, Oregon has you know for the past 10 years essentially um you know I get bummed when I you know get up end up with guys on our teams you know we got a couple guys Jordan Poyer and we have you know Mike Rimmers you know played with him in Carolina and right right they, they never won a game they never won a Civil War game I'm like you know the fact that the guys went through school and didn't get an opportunity to celebrate a win like that, or you know, you know, at least experience that is is a little bit disheartening. But I think once we start guys getting start getting a taste of it, uh, we can get that thing flipping the other way.
1: You know, Derek, it's it it, it is disheartening to hear that sometimes when you go the entire four year career without winning a civil war. But from my end, it's also refreshing because it reinforces the fact that this game matters. One way or the other, this game matters. It just—it just the result of it. Even though every game <laughs> matters, this one mm-hmm. in particular has a more emotional pull on the guys that play in it, particularly the guys that grow up in the state as you did, and for someone like me that grew up, you know, in the uh, in the 90s and, and watching Jonathan Smith's Beaver teams and watching your own Beaver teams, Derek, um, yep. that's always refreshing to hear because you know the youth of today they're they're paying attention and they want the civil war to matter and hopefully in the not too distant future we'll be at a point where both programs are on the ascent both programs are competing for bowl games annually both programs are going to be ranked again like they they were back in the day that 2000 civil war can we get back to that type of status mm-hmm. and hope hopefully that's right around the corner so we can hear it in your voice it matters uh to you and it still does and evanson bernard was on our uh, show or on our station earlier this week and he mentioned you and he mentioned a lot of the other alumni saying that the support is there not only emotionally but also financially and also with their time and you know can you speak a little bit more to that as to how the support of the alumni group and the former players is rallying around Jonathan Smith and his regime
3: um, you know i think it's you know it's something that we've kind of all you know got together and you know they've done a great job of you know Evanston's a huge part of you know, getting a bunch of guys down there and and supporting Jonathan and making sure that, you know, his group and, you know, the guys on the current team understand that, you know, it's bigger than what, you know, than what they're doing right now. Um, You know, it's the guys before them. It's the guys after them. It's, you know, it's a group collective effort. You know, we're all rooting for them. Everybody's behind them. Um, But, you know, we put, you know, the time in. We put our time in. We've invested, you know, not it gives us the right to complain about things, but just to show them that, you know, we're supporting them and, you know, and then it's about building it for the guys after them. Cause the guys before us built it and that's, you know, it's a huge thing. You know, we had a, you know, probably, I don't know, 50 guys down there, uh, for the Washington state game. And it was, you know, it was a good time just to get to see guys that we hadn't seen in years. And, you know, there's a bunch of guys that we, you know, we do get together and, you know, golf and, you know, we're in group messages and, and that, that sort of thing. And, uh, but just get to get around guys that you spent, you know, three, four, four years with and uh, see them again.
2: Yeah, you, you can't replace those college days. I mean, my time at Portland State, Derek, I, I do. We, when we get together the memories, because that was for fun. You, know, you remember that really. Yeah. High school was a blast, but college was just fun. It was. Right. It was so fun. And here you are. <laughs> I mean, come on. People got to rem- remember, you know, for three years, three and a half years. I mean, Derek, you're, you're fourth in career paths in sure. the Pac-12, 11,000. 200 yards behind Carson Palmer, Matt Barkley, and number one, who's coming on by the way in about 20 minutes, is Sean Mannion is going to join us too. So I got Beaver quarterbacks, Beaver quarterback greats on the day, and I just thank you, Derek, number one, from personally just for answering my call and and coming on the show because I know what it's like, like oh god, day after Thanksgiving, but you got right back to me. And said Neil, I'll do it, and I really appreciate that.
3: Yeah, buddy, thank you, thank you for having me uh, anytime. I, I enjoy it. I'll obviously, talking uh, Beaver football, but I enjoy talking about
1: football too. So. Oh. Derek Anderson. It's a lot of fun. Thanks so much for taking the time, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you guys. You guys take care. There he is. Derek Anderson. Yeah, stay
2: healthy. Yeah. No, don't come play on. anymore, man. Just keep getting those paychecks. Just get the paycheck. Cash Derek. it. Just get Cash the it. Don't play anymore. Just sit back. They got Josh Allen there with the Buffalo Bills that uh yeah, yeah. I think he'll play next week or so. I don't no, know what no, his current...
1: He's supposed to come back this Sunday. Okay. Allegedly. So hopefully he'll hang
2: on there, get a few more game checks. I know Mrs. Anderson appreciates that with the kids at home. That's right. He's living right there in Salem. He's still local boy.
1: Yeah. I I always remember that 2006 season for Cleveland. D.A. was quarterback, and he entered in October. They had a 10-win season, the Cleveland Browns, in 2006. And they were one play away from making the playoffs. And I don't know why I always remember this, but it was – D.A. was driving him down in Arizona against the Cardinals, I think week 17. It's like a win-and-you're-in situation, and they had already gotten 10 wins, which normally gets you in the playoffs, but it didn't this year in the AFC for whatever reason. He throws a ball into the end zone to Kellen Winslow, Jr., makes the catch, is pushed out of bounds, and this was like the first year that the push-out meant incomplete, and it didn't mean an automatic catch. It would have won the game for the Browns in Arizona, would have won them a playoff spot, and instead they missed the playoffs again. But uh always enjoy seeing D.A. chucking it for Cleveland. He was the first great Cleveland well, quarterback. Well, Cleveland
2: hasn't won 10 games in like the last 10 years. I know, so, since D.A. And how do you – do you have a life? How do you remember that? You actually uh, remember that game driving against Cle- – you sure it was Week 17? It was
1: a CBS game. Uh, Dude, I don't know, man. I'll tell you about the Seahawks week 14, 1998, going to the Meadowlands. Vinny Testaverde sneaking we, it in from the two-and-a-half-yard line. He was down at the one, and they ruled it a touchdown because they didn't have instant
2: replay. we got to get you in rehab. We really do. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm really concerned about you. All right, on not.
1: that note, we'll hit the commercial break. We'll come back. We'll talk about this game and a whole lot more. Still more to go all the way till 1 o'clock. Derek Countdown Anderson, to kickoff.
2: We'll have Derek on.
1: Appreciate you hooking that up, man. That was good stuff more with uh, Jude Anubi, and Neil Lomax. We're live at the Fields Bar and Grill in the Pearl District coming up on 1029-750 The Game. Our thanks to Derek Anderson for joining us a moment ago. If you missed it, you can find that conversation podcasted at 1029thegame.com later today. But of course, we're coming up to the top of the noon hour on a Civil War Black Friday. And, uh, you know, not to get too anecdotal or emotional, but just speaking personally. The Civil War is always my favorite day of the year, having grown up in the Willamette Valley and in this area uh, you know, ever since I was born in July of 92. And getting a sense of the rivalry from both perspectives, listening to Mike Parker or Jerry Allen or any of the Civil War television broadcasts, I remember the 98 game like it was yesterday because my parents uh, took us Black Friday shopping and shopping for a Christmas tree, as you do on Black Fridays often, is uh, go Christmas tree shopping. We were going to a Costco, I think the one right down here at Tiger 217. Pop into that Costco. It's in the second half of the Civil War game. And, Neil, I go to the employees' luncheon area where they've got a TV on in the corner, and I watch the entire second half standing outside the Costco employees' room watching Kenny Simonton run Oregon State to the 44-41 Double overtime victory at Reeser Stadium that day. Jonathan Smith was yeah. a true freshman in that football game. And that 98 game I still remember as clear as day as I trust a lot of Duck and Beaver fans still do. What other memories do you have about the Civil Wars? You've attended a lot of them.
2: I don't even know if there was a Costco back in 90, 99, <laughs> 98. You,
1: what, <laughs> that you food, were in Costco. Food in for park. less, Costco and all. It's all the same.
2: I was at that game. I do remember wow. the 44, 41 overtime, overtime thriller there. Uh I'm going to give props to Jordan Kent. I mean, I remember that game when Matt Moore brought that team back and had to score at the end, and Oregon State beat Oregon Right after uh, Jordan Kent got a touchdown pass from, how about this name, Brady Leaf. From Brady in Leaf. In that year. And 2006. Was it 2006? Mm-hmm. Okay, that I was at that game as well, and uh, I think that promoted and really escalated this Matt Moore quarterback as a potential pro, and he's been – had a pretty good backup career as well yep. and throughout with the Dolphins. and then. But, so, but that, that 06 game was a memory for me too because I remember Jordan Kent making that catch for that touchdown. So got to give him some props. Got to give my partner a little props. So that game, the memories. Uh, of course, two years ago I went down, took my father-in-law down two years ago when, nice. when, when the Ducks got gnawed by Ryan <laughs> Nall. Uh, 21 for 174, Yeah, 174 yards. Man. Uh, highest rushing record by any beaver. Uh, against the duck team so that was a pretty cool game last uh, two years ago uh, seeing the beavers beat Oregon first time in 10 years by the way because yep. they've been nine out of 10 the ducks have won so those are a couple of good games I remember
1: and I, I was at the one last year when uh Oregon, Oregon put up a 69 burger 69 to 10 win over Oregon State and one of my predictions Ooh. in the pregame show that day live at Autzen, was that Willie Taggart would lead the ducks to a historic win over the beavers in terms of margin and victory. And that it would be his only Civil War, and that was one of my better predictions because you did. You both. Said of that. Those, I, I still have the tape. Yeah, not no, that I I'm think proud you of said it. Or Corey anything. Hall
2: won't get the Oregon job. That's, that's yeah, that's did. yeah, right,
1: exactly. That's what <laughs> I. Corey said.
2: Hall's final final game too as the Bees, but
1: do you know what year the Civil War was first played?
2: I'm gonna go eight. Well, it's 130. How many? How many have they played now?
1: This is gonna be 122 today, but it hasn't been played every single year. No, and there was one year where it was played twice. Unbelievably,
2: well, they had, they had so many ties too back in eighteen. They've tied ten times, and, yeah. Because they, I, well, back in those days though, a touchdown was like four points or three points. I, you you can actually that? You can actually thrust guys up in the air to block the extra points. And yeah. The NCAA is it wasn't even the NCAA back then. No, I don't. No, think I don't so. know. No. You know these guys it's six to four and nine to seven for like thirty years. And some people love that. I don't. I love the points. I love the 69. I I love the 69 to 20 games. I love that. Four-point
1: touchdowns. Four-point touchdowns. Oregon State won the first Civil War back in 1894, 16 to nothing. Pitched the shutout. I think Oregon won the next year like 40 to nothing. So, man, it's blowouts one way or the other. But hopefully it won't be a blowout today. The line currently, Oregon minus 18 and a half. We'll see if that keeps ballooning up as we get closer to kickoff. All right, we owe you another break. Peter Sampson's got a scoreboard update coming for you, too. We'll talk to Nick Aliotti coming up. We'll go live to Reezer and talk to James Crepe, the Oregonian in Oregon Live, taking you all the way up to 1 o'clock, live from the Fields Bar and Grill, here in the Pearl, Judah Newby and Neil Lomax. It's all presented by Cooney BMW on 1029 at 750 The Game
0: let's go welcome to
1: countdown to kickoff part of oregon college game day with Judah newbie and neil lomax presented by frost brood cores light on 1029 and 750 the game all right we're getting closer getting closer about 55 minutes away from kickoff between oregon and oregon state in the 122nd edition of the civil war rivalry welcome back to countdown to kickoff hour two judah newbie in the college football hall of famer neil lomax broadcasting live from the fields bar and grill here in the pearl district presented by our friends at cooney bmw neil it's a great time to be on remote for a game like this on a black friday in this atmosphere getting ready for the ducks and the beefs
2: well if the people from cooney were really our friends we would have like 730is and bmws all over the place especially for you know you and me out here exactly yeah um I mean, know, I'm, talking I'm
1: a 325i kind of guy are you yeah you know i like well, my, I got little been, my,
2: my first purchase though when i was a pro i had a ford bronco i had a ford bronco but i went i don't know the one right by the coliseum there was a bmw place right by the coliseum it was yeah. a coliseum those days and i bought a little 320i did you yeah a wow. little BMW. i couldn't even fit in it what year this was uh, 81, nice. 81, 82, and i never forget, my brother came in, what? what are you doing buying a, you're not a BMW guy. <laughs> I said, yeah, man, these BMWs a graphite gray, too. Really cool graphite gray BMW 320i. It was sweet. man. But I, I'm like, you know what, some guys are like pickup guys, some guys are Cadillac, Mercedes. Right. He's right. So I went back to my Ford Bronco. Really? I still kept it.
1: That's right. you got to keep
2: you know, it, know, because the chicks take chicks right. the 320
1: eyes. That's what I'm saying. And that's Pickups. why I've got two at home. No, I'm just playing. I don't have two and chicks. <laughs> two <laughs> no, girls. No, no. What? Beamers. Oh. Beamers, man. We're, we're getting out of the lane. Let's get back <laughs>
2: Let's get back in the lane of college football.
1: Uh, speaking of, 18 and a half points that Oregon is uh, favored in this game. That's, that's a, a lot, of lot to me. That's a lot of points. Yeah.
2: Again, if you're Vegas guys and those guys back there are probably going to bet, you know, you'd probably put some money on Oregon State. It's in Corvallis. It's rainy, it's wet, but I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm glad Derek agreed with me that to me, if you're a throwing football team, especially with field turf and the way the balls, it's the vantage offense. It's advantage offense, so it's not going to be that big of a deal. See, that's
1: counterintuitive to me. I would think it's, it's harder to execute. It's easier to drop the Cause, ball. Cause
2: you have, have you ever played corner? Well, You're played corner on the on astro turf, you ever played safe your corner. No. No. It's, no rhetorical. I have not. it's a rhetorical question. I understand. Thank you. It's a no. Thank you for making me so, answer. So try to cover these guys when it's ret and slippery, right. slick, the field's a little slick. The ball, you know, maybe it's more difficult to catch the ball, but no, the advantage is to the offense. But does that mean Coach Cristobal and Marcus Aurelio are gonna change the game plan and throw it fifty times? Hell no. They won't. I wish they would, but they won't. Yeah, and it'll be if, it, and you're correct. When your assessment was, if it's a if it's kind of this way, advantage to the teams that run the ball more, because they'll be you'll, you'll shorten the game, and you shorten the score, and that's advantage Oregon State.
1: Yeah, if, if it's me and I'm Oregon State, I'm looking at integrating Jamar Jefferson and Artavis Pierce as often as possible, not only in the run game but in the pass game, and make the Duck linebackers, even though the strength of an Oregon defense is sideline to sideline with that speed, make them chase you down make them tackle you, and then you can parlay that with some one-on-one matchups against Lenore, against Graham, a couple of true sophomores on the outside for Oregon who have progressed nicely at those defensive back positions. I was actually impressed with how Oregon's secondary did last week against Nikhil Harry, arguably the best receiver in this conference, and they'll be tested again, even though Hodgins is not quite Harry's physique or even his talent level, but I'm still impressed with what Oregon State has at the three receiver positions, Hodgins and Bradford and Hernandez. It will test Oregon secondary Well, today. they're balanced.
2: Right. I mean, they're balanced. You look at their stats right here. You got, you know, all of them have over 50 receptions apiece. You know, Timmy Hernandez has 52 uh, for 574. He's got one touchdown. But Trayvon Bradford's has got six touchdowns. And Isaiah Hodgkins, he has five. So those are, your, those are your three-headed monster, those guys. And I'm surprised, too. In Oregon State, we talked about um, their tight ends. I hasn't been – he was hurt early on. We're talking about Noah Togiai. He's only have uh, – he only has ten receptions. And they don't integrate that tight end position at all like we thought Oregon would earlier right. in the year. And But they lost Cam McCormick, and they haven't gone a lot to uh, Jacob Breland that, that much. And that a guy, guy that I thought me. would play a lot would be Kano, Kano, Kano Dillon. Yeah. And so those three guys, wide receiver-wise, you're right. But – and you brought it up. The corners have done really well, Lenore. Thomas Graham, Jr., and Ugo Amati, to me, is Pac-12, well, almost one of the Pac-12 defensive players. He'll be in the all-Pac-12 team. Um, but those those corners uh, for Oregon have improved immensely. But they're going to have, again, you're going to see a lot more zone. I think you're going to see a lot more zone against this Oregon State passing attack.
1: All right, we'll go ahead and we'll go away and we'll come back. Nick Aliotti. I talked to him uh, earlier this morning. He is on a plane right now flying to the great state of Arizona. So he can broadcast the Territorial Cup on the Pac-12 network tomorrow. But on his way to the airport, he was gracious enough to uh, give us a few moments. And, you know, he gives you a shout-out, Neil. You might want to listen to this. Oh, coming Nick, up. Nick is class. Plus, all class. We go live to Reezer at 12.30 as well with James Crappy, the Oregonian. More countdown to kick off. Judah Newby and Neil Lomax coming up on 1029, 7.50 the game. In the last 40 quarters of the Civil War, Oregon has scored a touchdown in at least 37 of those 40 quarters. You'd figure this would be a similar type of game in terms of being high scoring, both teams wanting to run the football, both teams possessing potent passing offenses as well, both teams with defenses with question marks, although arguably Oregon State has bigger question marks on the defensive side of the ball than does Oregon. We'll talk to uh, Sean Mannion hopefully coming up here in a bit, and Nick Aliotti as well will give us his thoughts on the Civil War, as will James Crepe of the Oregonian and Oregon Live, Judah and Neil Lomax. We're live at the Fields Bar and Grill. We'll be here for our postgame show as well, so swing on by. Be here to watch the game, first of all. There are TVs everywhere, big screens behind us. It's a festive atmosphere here. It's all presented by our friends at Cooney BMW. Neil, this is the spot to be, man, for to watch rivalry games. I'll probably just come back here tomorrow, watch some more.
2: You should, cause you don't have a life. You well, might as well just come back. No, on I appreciate Saturday, you. You know, <laughs> reinforcing. You, you that. just keep. You just keep bringing these stats <laughs> and these amazing nuggets of of history to me, though. That's, that's why I love being your partner. You you bring back these different games and different Civil War memories, and no. but numbers don't lie. You know, it comes down to. Uh, offensive defense and numbers just don't lie and Oregon State right now is is like 12th in the Pac 12 and defense total defense and they got to play a lot better than that but we got another great OSU quarterback that's right us.
1: that's right we do and uh, he is Sean Mannion a uh, former uh, Oregon State quarterback now at the L.A. Rams on his bye week. There he is, Sean Mannion. Sean, welcome to uh, Countdown to Kickoff. Newby and Neil Lomax and down at Reezer, Man, how's how's the atmosphere down there?
4: Man, it's been great. Yeah, we got here. Uh, we got down here early. Hit our favorite breakfast spot from when uh, me and my wife in college, and uh, now we're just hanging out, getting to see. It's it's nice uh, you know having Jonathan here and Coach Riley here some familiar faces. But uh, no, the atmosphere is great. It's uh, it's going to be fun.
1: Coming off your big victory uh, last Sunday night, I can't—or last Monday night against Kansas City—I've never seen an NFL game like that with all the all those points, all the defensive scores. What was it like uh, being a part of that?
4: Yeah, that was wild. Like you said, I've never been a been a, been a part of a game like that. Um, you know, luckily we were able to come out on top. You know, uh, our offense—I thought had a real good night—and then uh, you know, our defense came out with some huge plays. You know, Sampson. Two uh two defensive touchdowns, which doesn't happen real often. But Kansas City is a great team, and, um, you know, it was, a, it was a huge win for us heading into the bye week. So it uh, makes this bye week uh, a little bit easier to enjoy coming off a win.
2: Hey, hey Sean, Neil Lomax here. I appreciate uh, you getting back to me. And for folks who don't know, I, I talked to uh, Sean's dad, John, who's been coaching high school football here, like myself, in the in state of Oregon for the last few years at Silverton. And now is at Mountainside, first year there for that Beaverton school and great time for you to be home with the family over Thanksgiving. So tell us, first of all, Coach, uh, your dad's coaching there first year. What was that like for him?
4: It was great. You know, uh, he, he coached for, you know, I think seven years at Silverton High, mm-hmm. uh, kind of east of Salem, uh, and loved it there. But um, when the mountainside job became available, it was a brand-new school, and, um, you know, it was a really unique opportunity for him as a high school coach to really start a program from day one, you know, from the ground up. So, um, that was a really cool opportunity. And, um, they, you know, they love where they, where they live in Beaverton. And, um, you know, it's, uh, they, they, they had a they had kind of a tough year this year. They finished I think three and five, but you know they put a varsity schedule without any seniors. So I think it's uh, you know real real good sign for optimism. And uh, you know they won their last three games of the year, so um, you know they're going to be really good next year once once they have a full a full high school worth of kids. So um, but you no, know, it's a, it's a great program there.
2: Well, he's he's always he's done a great job of coaching high school. Yeah, I've met him a few times at Les Schwab Bowl, and I appreciate him getting a hold of you. And folks, again, Sean Mann, you know, People don't know he's broke. You know, Sean, you broke all the Pac-12 passing records, career, season. I mean, guys like John Elway, Matt Barkley, uh, you went Carson Palmer. I mean, it's pretty incredible. Uh, kid from or- you know, you're from California, going to Oregon State and breaking all those yards. What What, what that feel feel like?
4: You know, it was, it was really cool, but you know, really, it's a credit to my teammates. You know, it's it's funny I'm here with uh, my teammate on the Rams, and my teammate at Oregon State, Brandon Cooks, and um, you know, I think when I when I think back of you know some of the records I was able to able to break, you know, during my time here, you know, really, you, you think about the memories of you know your teammates and you know all, all the all the games and all the big moments um, that came up, and, and you think about the, the people you got to play with. Um, so you know, certainly, you know, those, I'm proud of those achievements, but. You know, I'd, I'd say more so when I when I look back on them, I think of all, the, all, all my teammates and all my coaches and all the people that, um, you know, were just as big a part of that as me.
2: Yeah, you mentioned Brandon Cooks. I think he's, if I'm not mistaken, does he play for the Rams?
4: <laughs> he does, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, I haven't been paying great, attention, you know, you know, me, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, No. Yeah, it, no, it's great. Me, me Brandon, and uh, Johnny Hecker are Johnny all Hecker, the Rams. Yeah. Right. It timed out perfectly. We're all going to be here at the Civil War today at Sporting beach.
1: That oh, that's awesome. incredible. Yeah, that's great. Evanson Bernard, you know, was uh, on our air earlier, Sean, and, and he mentioned that all those guys were getting together on their bye weeks. And, look, that's easier said than done. But to me, I see, like, all those alumni coming to support the Beavs who even though they have two wins right now, it's the rivalry game, everybody's rallying behind one of their own and Jonathan Smith and a lot of the guys on that coaching staff. There seems to be a real, um, you know, an optimism and the support from all you guys as former players that exist within Oregon State yeah. that I'm not sure would be there with any two-win program in, in a given season, Sean.
4: Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool. You know, obviously when I was playing here, you heard about Jonathan, and he was on the Fiesta Bowl team and, um, and had a ton of success here as a player. And at the time, I was playing against him uh, when he was the offensive coordinator at of Washington. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I experienced it firsthand, you know, just how good of a coach he was. and the offense that Washington had when he was there. And then you obviously know the connection to Oregon State. So I think um, – Hello. We just lost him.
1: He'll, he'll pop back don't up. Yeah, he'll pop back. Oh, there he is. You're coming back there, Sean. You were yeah. just mentioning it.
4: Oh, yeah, sorry. No, I was saying, um, you know, with Jonathan having played here and had such a good playing career here and then – you know, I was playing against him when he was the coordinator at Washington, on, and they had really good teams there. I think um, it's a new, unique combination of a strong connection to the school, and then obviously he's a great, great coach. So I know I'm super confident and super excited that Jonathan's here, and uh, I, th- I think he's going to do really, really well here. Well,
2: that does say says a lot about the program, Sean. And, and Derek Anderson said the same thing with himself and Bill Swancutt and, you know, the guys he played with. Every opportunity they get, they go down and support Oregon. I Here you guys on the bye week. I mean, I remember those times when they came yeah. up for me in the pro, man. I just wanted to take it easy, <laughs> go play golf or something or rest up, and, and hear you guys come on back. Well, it's Thanksgiving. That, that, that does a lot. But that is really cool. It speaks to a lot of your guys' character, your guys' loyalty to come back and support. And, and, and as Judas mentioned, Sean, not a team that's, you know, 9-3. and three. It's,
1: yeah, But they'll get there, you know. well, You feel like yeah. they've got to get there soon, right, Sean?
4: For sure, you know I, I think they're definitely uh, they're definitely moving in the right direction, you know, and um, you know, I think it, you know especially in college some of these things just take a few years, and um, you know recruiting plays a big part of that. But what I what I really love about Jonathan and you know the the staff that he's put together here is, is they're great coaches. You know I think um, you know time's really going to tell the way they're going to be able to develop players over the course of three or four years. Um, you know, I think the, the player development standpoint, instead of getting a guy with a freshman and by the time he's a junior or senior, I think um, that's where, you know, Jonathan and, um, you know, guys like Trent Bray and, and all the coaches he's assembled here, I think that's where that's really going really gonna to show in the long term is just the way they're going to be able to develop players, um, you know, from when they're freshmen to when they're seniors. You
2: know, Sean, speak to that a little bit because Derek brought that up about – that the pieces of the puzzle of getting those Northwest kids, getting the local kids. You know, you're from California, though, but what is the attraction there? What brought you up to Oregon State when you know the pieces are you've got to get the kids from Texas, you've got to recruit the Southeast, you've got to get, and you've got to get the best local kids from the Portland area.
4: Yeah, for sure. You know, I think um, for me it was a combination of things. I think, you know, the, the success that Oregon State has been having, you know, obviously with Jaquiz and James, um, you know, Sean Canfield, some of those guys was, was super attractive to me um you know i think that you know coach riley obviously was a was a huge part in coming here but um you know i I just love the love the environment i love the environment that coach riley had created i love um you know the the college town atmosphere it was it was just a perfect fit for me and you know i I really think jonathan is going to do a great job of that i think he's he's been in it as a player and seen what it takes to be successful here and i think he's going to kind of implement the same things and um you know, I, I you know I know when I was here, it was you know a lot of a lot of kids from the northwest, but a lot of kids from the Bay Area, a lot of kids from LA, a lot of kids from Texas, Oklahoma, and stuff too. So um, I'm sure you know I, I, I know that Jonathan knows this because you know like I said he he he's, he's been a part of it you know on on the playing side and, and now uh, getting to do it as a coach.
1: So how much does Oregon State win by today?
4: Oh, I'm gonna I, I, it's always tough playing the Ducks. I'm I'm gonna say they went by 10 today.
1: <laughs> Let's go. I love
2: it. So they, yeah. get a, they get a win. And they haven't done well the last 10 years, though, Sean. You know that.
1: Hey, but two years ago? That's his that's 10 years. Optimism, yeah. though. I, about- I you, well,
2: you got to be. You're loyal. you got orange and black on. You should say that. I mean, you wouldn't pick the Ducks. But, again, guys, I, prop, I, mean, yeah. I threw a whole bunch at Portland State. I mean, we were throwing 70 times a game. I think I had like 14,000. I mean, here's Sean Mannion, folks, 13,438 career passing yards, leads, all-time Pac-12. In a pro style. Over guys like Matt Barkley, Carson Palmer, and even Derek Anderson,
4: Sean. You you you'd be past Derek. Derek's number four. I I know, yeah. Derek Derek's a good friend of mine. So uh, it was pretty cool, you know, getting to know him a little bit over the years, and uh, it, was, it was fun when I got to pass him and and, and lead at Oregon State. That was uh, that 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 was pretty fun, and uh, he he shot me a text. Derek's a great guy, so it was uh, that was pretty
3: cool. <laughs>
1: Well, Sean, thanks for making time for us. Enjoy the game down at Reeser and the atmosphere. Best of luck to the beeves And you know what? Even as a Seahawk fan, best of luck to your Rams the rest of the way. And they uh, yeah, are no, looking obviously so strong right now in the NFC West.
4: Yeah, no, thanks a lot. Thanks for having okay. me on. All yeah, right. Hey,
2: thanks, Sean, for coming on. So I got Sean. He's going 10-point Beaver win, but he's going to take the points. Yep. And I'm going to put down your game check by the way one of your game checks yeah sean, that's okay which is probably about three hundred thousand dollars yeah so i'm gonna go ahead and bet that for sean yeah it looks he's like he's a giving us check. the verbal go-ahead for yeah, that. yeah i'm gonna, I'm gonna i think and we're close enough friends he'll so go ahead and but he's taking the points though what is it, 18 and a half
1: no he's not only taking the points he's
2: just Oregon by ten. he's calling a
1: 10 point oregon state win oregon state upset win by 10 that's he's saying they covered by 28 and a half and i'm betting him a game check they won't <laughs> all right
2: my game check, it. my game check against Dude, his game check.
1: I'm never putting my, you know, you know my game check. I, I put that <laughs> up in anything. But we'll get our, uh, we always get a bet on for one of these. Oh games, yeah, oh yeah. We'll do
2: some adult beverage or something here.
1: Yeah, we got a tab open, man. Do we have a tab? On, really? <laughs> I didn't know that. I should not have said that. But really? uh, yeah, we'll work that out off the air. Alright, he's Neil Lomax. I'm Chudor Newby We go live to Reaser again with James Crappy of the Oregonian coming up next. Countdown to kickoff takes you up till 1 o'clock. We're live at the Fields Bar and Grill, presented by Cooney BMW. Come out, hang out with us. This is the best place to watch the game that kicks off at 1.05 on Fox Sports One. We'll be here for the post-game show as well. And in the middle of the post-game show, the Apple Cup will kick off. So we're watching and reacting to that live between the Kooks and the Dogs. More countdown to kickoff coming up on 102.9, 750 The Game. All right, as we do every week, we go live to the stadium where the University of Oregon is playing. And today, this Black Friday, the 23rd of November, which, by the way, is the earliest in the calendar that the Civil War has been played since 2004. So it's been a while since it's been this early, given that November 1st was on a Thursday this year. That, of course, just moved everything up in the calendar. And uh, joining us back on... Countdown to kickoff is James Crepia of the Oregonian and Oregon Live. We'll get him in. There he is. James is joining us live from Reezer. James, Judah, Neil, it's good to talk to you again, my friend. How are you?
2: Doing well. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Happy Thanksgiving, James. Yeah. Nice to you guys
0: as well.
1: Uh, how's the atmosphere at Reezer as we get about 25 minutes away from kickoff?
0: Well... Uh, I'd say it, it is uh, what you would expect from uh, an atmosphere in a dreary Friday, Black Friday, with heavy fog and uh, rain out, well, some rain and mistiness outside. Uh, I'll, lay, I'll lay it there. Let's put it that way. Uh,
1: so it's, it's a sellout to sell out everybody's rocking, right?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you can tell everybody's been liquored up for several hours. Uh, this is just like Patrick's, Louisiana on a Saturday night. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, it, uh, you, you might be able to count the people on your hands. Uh, at this particular point, but I, I would figure that everybody's just taking cover. Frankly, I think there are more, more fans underneath the stands than in the stands, and you can understand that because, yeah, kind of well, well, less than optimal. Yeah.
1: That's too bad. I mean, we know uh, I'm looking at the frequency of the Civil War, how often it's been played. This is going to be the 122nd time. Auburn, Georgia has been played just one more time, uh, James, and I know you're pretty familiar with that rivalry. In terms of just yep. the frequency, I mean, that had to have st- stood out to you when you're prepping for this matchup?
0: Oh, sure. I mean, look, you appreciate you appreciate his, his historic and storied rivalries to go back that far. That means the South holstered rivalry, this obviously being a very, very long-standing uh, in-state rivalry, one of the longest in the country uh, between two in-state schools in particular. So that you definitely appreciate. That's have been a part of uh, and got to cover uh, Michigan, Ohio State as well. So in the Iron Bowl, and plenty of others. So, yes, plenty of uh, uh, great rivalries in the sport, and that's what makes the sport fun. And uh, indeed, compared to the NFL or really almost any professional sport, is the history that uh, the college football has to offer. By that regard, uh, that said, yes, at the, at the current moment, not just this year, but it's the last couple of years. Uh, certainly, the Civil War has taken a little bit of a step back, just the, the level of. That brings uh, national attention
2: to years to come. Hey James, give us your perspective on the, the things that are not obvious to all of us that we've been talking about, not just today but all week. Everybody's talking about Jamar Jefferson, you know, everybody's talking about the Ducks passing and, you know, can Dylan Mitchell break the record here and there and OSU's defense is twelfth in the pack, twelve in this. Those are all the obvious things. What have you noticed and watching this week that we're not we're not talking about that the fan needs to pay
0: attention to? Well, some of those, some of those things there, among the five things that I mentioned, uh, and what I wrote up yesterday, says, as far as players and things to watch this game, Mitchell and Jefferson being among them for sure. Uh, you'd be a fool not to mention that, my God. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you'd be kind of crazy. Uh, but aside from that, some of the things that I pointed out this week and, and wrote about were Oregon's red zone defense right now is in one of its best three-game stretches in a decade, since 2010 or before, depending on where you want to look at. Uh, this is really a pretty incredible stat. I mean, as far as how many touchdowns they're not allowing right. inside the red zone uh, over these last three games, it's pretty stunning. As I said, if you've managed to keep that going, is that just a three-game sample size. Well, nevertheless, you know, only a couple of touchdowns on you know, 13 red zone trips is pretty impressive. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty huge. Uh, so that's, that's a big part because, look, Oregon State is not going to be able to win this game if they are trading three for seven all day. That, they don't work. So if Oregon State does get in the red zone, they have to capitalize. And Oregon, these last three games, has really buckled down once they get down there. Whether that's over sustained drives or turnovers, turnovers on downs, whatever the case may be, they have held opponents in check once they get inside the red zone. Of course, they prefer not to get there in the first place, but when they do, sometimes not by their own choice or their own doing, they do respond. So that's a big part to look at. The other is a little bit outside the numbers per se or outside any general statistics. When you're just looking at the field conditions and the weather conditions as they are in a game like this, and two teams that really are built to favor the run, you have to figure that the clock is going to be ticking a whole lot today, A whole lot. In that case, this could be a lower-scoring game than, I mean, let's it this way. This would be, should be a lower-scoring game than if it were played in ideal conditions.
1: Should. That's, see, that's the thing. I mean, and Neil, you can chime in on that as well just the the factor of the weather with the offensive execution even though is would seem on the face of it to favor a ground attack win the trench war what you know how does that how do you see that affecting the pass game you know in terms of maybe giving the offense an
2: advantage well and turnovers you know james brings up the weather down there that turnovers i still say though the advantage if you do throw the ball a lot offense has the advantage because again route running and the defensive backs don't have that advantage because of the weather. But, you know, with field trips and all that, but, you know, James, I just see a stat that just pops out to me, and I like your comment on that, the amount of sacks Oregon State allows. I mean, Jake Jake, Jake Luton, man, is throwing pretty well. He's throwing over 60% of his passes, but the amount of sacks they give up, thats going to play a huge part of this football game.
3: No question.
0: No question. I, and, and just go back for a second. All I'm saying is that I, I do agree with you, ben. Yes, it does do the offense in adverse conditions. And let me be clear, it's not pouring outside yeah. right now, or it's not, you know, snow or something like that. It's not that bad. It's just the point that, in general, these are two offenses who favor the run in the first place. And with that said, with an over-under at 70, uh, where they're basically taking it at a 44-26 final, I'm a little hard-pressed to see one team or the other score in yeah. the game game. That's that's all I'm going to say on that. That of the Saks, you know, first, man, oh, question. The Oregon defense... They, we, we know earlier in the season they weren't able to generate pass rush. The last few games, they have not been able to do a very good job of that. Now, last, the last game, yes, they did. With the Arizona State, they did. They got to, Wilkins, got to Wilkins more than just about anybody against an Arizona State offensive line and an offense that had schemed to avoid sacks and had not allowed very many sacks all season. One of the better offensive lines, strength in the country with how they adjusted, especially compared to the year before, when they were like one of the worst in the country, one of the best. Credit to the Oregon defense for that. However, they are without Jalen Jokes in this game. So that's going to hurt them in <laughs> a big way when you're talking about generating fast runs. However, credit to where it's due. Some of Oregon's backups, as you know, between Gus Cumberland the last beat, the two sacks he had, and then obviously the recovered fumble there at the end, or uh, a Drake Carlberg or Gary Baker. You know, they have other names who can do it, just not anywhere near as well. as Jalen Jokes. Right. Uh, but you do have Justin Hollins. You do have and You do have other players who can do it, but obviously losing Jokes. Is a real shot defense and
1: And no Austin Falu either for this game, is that right?
0: Oh, he was out of practice earlier in the week. I was told that he is expected to play. We'll uh, okay. to check on that, but I was told he is expected to play. Uh, but obviously the guy was dealing with an injury earlier in the year, came back, done well a couple of games uh, in a row now that he's been back. But Nevertheless, when you're dealing with, a, I don't know if it's the same injury or not, and I'm not sure exactly which injury it was the Jelks either. It was multiple injury related, just why he's out. Uh, but I've been told the value is expected to play.
1: Okay. Well, you know, come on down, Carlberg. Come on down, Cumberlander. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love me some Gus Cumberlander making big plays. Late in that game last week, but you know, I don't know, James. It's just one of those feels that Oregon State will keep this game closer than 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 many think. And you know, obviously, I know this is your first award that you're covering, but um, how do you feel about this one? How do you see it shaping up?
0: Well, you know, I gotta admit, guys, I'm not entirely sure on this one because of all those reasons. Like you just said, like you just have this weird feeling here. Rivalries is part of it. That's let's put it this way. I don't love the 18-point line. Um, <laughs> in a rivalry game where, where, the, where the other team has quite literally virtually nothing to lose. That said, I mean, on a talent perspective, it's really hard to pick, Obviously, pick it. Obviously, against Oregon in this, I'm just not sure they cover for all those reasons because it is a rivalry because they are on the road and they struggle on the road, even if it's not, you know, hopping on a plane, changing time zones or anything like that. Uh, because of the weather, because Jamar Jefferson is really good and their rush defense hasn't been that good, because Jelk's done. All those. Reasons. I would say Oregon wins, probably in the 10 to 13 range. Where exactly that 10 to 13 sits? Again, because I think the five's going to pick a lot. I'll go somewhere in like the 31-16, 31-13,
1: somewhere
0: in that ballparkish.
1: You know, it's so funny, Jordan Kent. I think four weeks in a row had a 31-17 yeah. Ducks prediction. So. I was on the edge of my chair. I figured you had been hanging out with Jordan Kent if you would have said thirty-one <laughs> well,
0: seventeen. Well, remember last week, guys? I said thirty-one twenty-eight before a kick. I had slipped. I had to be with Arizona State all week. I had flipped at thirty-one twenty-eight, something like that. It was thirty-one twenty-nine. So I was pretty close. Dude, yeah, I was pretty close. Almost a day off. You uh, did. A you you, you, off, called,
2: yeah. you did, James. You called it, yeah. co- and so did Jordan Kent. He yeah. called the two-point. But yeah. <laughs> I think it be su- James. I think you would be surprised. You're going to see some of these. Ducks and Beavers in this weather, I've I, I got a lot more score than a lot of people think. I think there's going ah. to be a lot of turnovers in this game. You're going to see the ball on the turf a lot, a lot of fumbles. The, teams who, the team who doesn't fumble most is going to win this game. I think Oregon is, is going to control that one. I, you're going to be surprised.
0: There's going to be a lot more scoring than you think. I, 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 I mean, if, if that's the case, I will come on in the post game and say I stand corrected. There was, you know, these myriad turnovers. Do problems. Do <laughs> be in, you know, 60, 70 points lit up. But I would just be a little surprised if we end up seeing, as I say, an over-under into the 70s. But, that said, I could hey, I could be wrong. just a so fantastic hey, yeah. favorite to run in the first place. Oh.
2: James. It, it won't be 69-10, to 10,
1: okay? Oh, I'll just man. tell you that. It won't be like <laughs> last
2: year. It won't be 69-10, to 10, James. That
1: was tough, man. That was tough to be at from last year. James, thanks for taking the time, as always. Look forward to actually talking to you in the post postgame, uh, you know, before midnight. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Likewise. Right. Appreciate, Appreciate you, man. Good. There he is. And you can follow him on Twitter, at James Crepia. All right, we'll go away. We'll come back. Final segment as we get our score predictions finally. We've been flirting with it, Neil. We've been talking all the way up to this point. Our score predictions are coming up next. We'll get Nick Aliotti's score prediction as well because that's in the hopper. Yep. we got to get that. And uh, we'll take you all the way up till 1 o'clock. Ducks and the beeves 122nd edition of the civil war true to neil lomax live at the fields barn grill out here in the pearl it's all presented by cooney bmw all right final segment countdown to kickoff be sure to tune in right after final whistle for the oregon college football post game show myself and neil lomax will be on right after the game of the 122nd civil war two-hour post game and then we got coverage back in studio back in the home digs all the way up until midnight Breaking down this one. All right, Neil, uh, we've talked to a lot of people today. We talked to Sean Mannion, talked to Derek Anderson, talked to the Oregonians' James Crepia. I had a conversation earlier this morning with Nick Aliotti, the longtime former Ducks defensive coordinator, now with the Pac-12 Network. And amongst the things we talked about was Nick's prediction for this game because he had last week nailed too. He said, make sure Neil knows, one, happy Thanksgiving to Neil and his family. Two, let him know. That I predicted it right on the money last week, yet again. He was close.
2: No, him and Jordan and James yeah. called the chop. We were off. I hit ASU by three. It could have been close, but it wasn't. But yeah. always looking forward to hear from Nick.
1: All right, Coach, his prediction on this game in the Civil War was what? All right, you've been seeing the ball pretty well with these scores as of late. How do you see this one?
0: Well, playing up in Corvallis, highly emotional game. Bad weather. If it continues to rain like it looks like it's going to, a wet ball and a wet field plays in the hands of defense. A wet field and a dry ball plays in the hands of offense. So I'm going to say Oregon's going to win. I think they have the better defense. Even though they're playing on the road, they get a faster start. I think the game was within 10 to 14 points. Oregon
1: wins something like uh, 27-14, 27-17. So there he is. He's got a 10-point Oregon victory. I got to say, Neil, I'm right in that same line of thought. I don't think the uh, Jalen Jelks' absence for Oregon is a a death blow to them uh, by any sort. I do think it hurts, but ultimately I see this in, in two halves. The first half, the second half, the emotion plays a big role in the first half. I think it favors Oregon State. Their rush defense will be ready to go early against Vardell and Travis Dye. In the second half, Travis Dye is going to have a big game. My prediction, Travis Dye goes for 125 yards and two touchdowns in this football game. He's the best offensive player for Oregon. I have the Ducks getting a win, 37-27. to What's your call?
2: Wow, so, and CJ Vardell gets – how many yards does he pick
1: up? I'll give him, give him 60, and he'll have a big catch in the screen game. But this game, I see Travis Die having a big role. Well, I, I definitely don't think it's going to come down to the kickers. Uh, Jordan <laughs> Chuker,
2: who's actually 11 for 18, and Adam Stack is not going to be I – pick, I picked the kickers last week. will not be kickers this week. Uh, yeah, wet field, dry ball. Interesting coming from Nick Aliotti about that. I think this all favors Oregon, and I'm going basically on the stats because the defense. Oregon State defense is just proven week in and week out, it cannot keep teams under 35 points. That's been the, I mean, 35 points. I see Oregon putting 40 plus, 40 plus on the Beefs. Wow. And I see five turnovers, three or, three or four by Oregon State, and Oregon is going to pick up those fumbles. There's going to be a scoop and score. There might even be a pick six. Oregon's defense is going to score twice, maybe once for hey. special teams, once. So I got Ducks scoring more than 40 points in this game.
1: It's like you're still keeping that Rams-Chiefs theme going with all the defensive scores.
2: And I'm sorry for these Oregon State quarterbacks coming on. I know. I mean, Sean Mannion's got the, got the Beavers by 10, but I got <laughs> I got Oregon even covering. I'm telling I I just got to – my so. feeling is because of Oregon State's defense and you're going to play one of the best Pac-12 offenses in Oregon, Oregon's have put up 40-plus 40, 40
1: points. All right. Get specific. We're writing it on a piece of paper over here. What do you got? 42-21. 42-21, That's a Ducks
2: win and cover. This whole time you've. Been talking oh yeah, out? I, I got to put that money on in Vegas then. I want the points. Yeah. Oh
1: my goodness! All right, there it is. He's Neil Lomax. I'm Chudanubi. We got the footballs in the house. We got the food, the faith, the family. That's family, the, my fan club. The football, They're awesome, man. Yeah, it's great. Great 4Fs. day. Hey, it's a lot of fun as always. Can you believe it? Happy Just Thanksgiving, everybody! War, and then a bowl game. After this, our time's winded down. But Oregon College Football Postgame Show, right after Final Whistle, live from the fields, bar and grill, Judah Newby, Neil Lomax. It's all presented by Cooney BMW. Big shout-out to them on 102.9 at 7.50, the game.